0: Welcome to the Armchair Trader podcast and today we are back on the subject of cryptocurrencies which we know is a popular one with a lot of our listeners and our readers Um, and today we have Konstantin Anisimov joining us from CEX um, which is uh, one of the small number of uh, FCA regulated cryptocurrency brokers in the UK. Welcome to the show Konstantin.
1: Thank you very much. Pleasure to be
0: here. Can you, first of all, just uh, give us a little bit of a, uh, a download on on who CEX is and, and um, just touch on that, um, that important element of being FCA regulated, how you guys were able to get there when some larger players in the market uh, haven't been able to achieve that?
1: Yes, I'd be very much happy to. So um, let me start by by talking a little bit about our pedigree and where we come from. Uh, we are one of the longest-running uh, cryptocurrency exchanges. We were established in 2013 by our founder and CEO still, Oleksandr uh, Luskevich. He's still uh, very much hands-on and, and runs the business. Um, and um, we took a decision quite early on to uh, self-regulate, essentially. Uh, if you know the the industry and, and the landscape, you would understand that the crypto regulation is, is only just starting to kick in in the majority of uh developed countries and, and major economies. Um, so we foresaw that this will become an, a, a very important part of running the business. And we started to apply the basic, uh, the, the, the logical things that any business in my opinion should follow anyway in order to uh, ensure longevity and uh, of the business as well as safety of the customers. So we started applying the usual um, the KYC, the AML practices. We started monitoring the blockchain, um, doing analytics on on where the cryptocurrencies are coming from, et cetera, et cetera. So when the FCA rules came into action, um, yes, we had to do a lot of work in terms of uh, the government governance and in terms of, um, I say, I'd say, making our processes more uh, rigid and and formalized, and to essentially, a lot of it is a is a tick box ticking exercise, right? You need to present the information in the right format. So we were in a very good situation that we had the information, we just needed to present it in the correct format and we had to pivot it to, to the way that the FCA would like it to see. Uh, one uh, observation I would like to make is that there isn't uh, such a thing as uh, FCA regulation in crypto, it's FCA registration. And it's a very important distinction because a regulation would mean a license, and nobody can get a crypto license right now because there isn't such regulation uh, that that allows you to be to to have a cryptocurrency license in the UK. It just doesn't exist. So every all of the businesses are going through the same process of registration for the crypto um, crypto asset um, scheme, I, th- I believe it's called, and uh, we are amongst uh, quite a large cohort of businesses that are going through that right now
0: so we have a a sort of situation here in the uk and if you're not in the uk you're probably less familiar with it but the fca the the uk regulator um effectively started off by um banning the sale of otc derivatives from many of the big names in the uk broking space who were offering say cfds or spread bets based on bitcoin or ethereum that was basically taken off the table completely Um, ETFs based on cryptocurrency prices also taken off the table completely yet we're in this slightly strange situation at the moment where at the same time you can have someone like CEX who can offer the actual um, access to the 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 trading of crypto um, directly for UK based um, investors but they can't go and, and trade it um, using say a CFD account.
1: Yes um, and I, I can share my perspective of, on why the FCA may have done that um, and, and first of all I'm also UK based so I, I know exactly what has been going on and I've been following um, I would say in the front lines seeing what was happening and one, one of the things that has happened is uh, for example we have a licensed CFD brokerage out of Cyprus which uh, it has passportization to all the EU countries However, due to Brexit, uh, that no longer works, so we had to pull out, out of the UK, that product had to be shut down in the UK, and there's been quite a few rounds of uh, explanations to the FCA reassuring them that we don't do any margin trading inside the UK. Um, the main reason, in my, in my mind, the main reason why the FCA has banned crypto derivatives is, is not, and I think that the, the unfortunately, the issue that you, you cannot have access to really great instruments like ETFs right now, it is just a, um, a kind of a ripple effect from what they were trying to get away from. And what they were trying to get away from is margin trading without control, where uh, many companies would offer margin trading with uh, 100x leverage. And if you think about a, an asset which is as volatile as Bitcoin or any crypto, really, apart from maybe some stable coins, to to go in with a margin of 100x, well, we all know what the outcome will be statistically. The person would lose their money. And an unsophisticated investor who, say, um, somebody who hears from a friend who put in £10 and made £10,000 out of it through leverage, they would think that this is the best thing to do, and they would put in £10,000 and lose it all. And that's on statistical and average, that's what would happen. So uh, my my thinking is the FCA is trying to protect the public. And I think there will be another iteration to this rule. So for now, they just banned everything. But I think there will be a coming back to this where maybe very much like on, on some other uh, trading apps, um, you go through some questionnaires, they can verify that you as a consumer understand the risks and you subscribe to the understanding those those risk models, and then they will gradually allow people to trade uh, with maybe limited leverage or maybe through uh, derivative products like ETFs, which are actually safer in many ways than than investing in, into any specific cryptocurrency due to diversification.
0: And and you now you guys are now registered with the FCA. What what sort of um, advantages does that? Give a well, I say advantages, protections. Does that confer on a trader who, say, opens an account with you versus going with a with a sort of totally um, unregulated offshore solution?
1: My view is that in general, this is where the industry is moving towards. Because um, in the very beginning, the industry was driven by early adopters and, and enthusiasts, and a lot of them were techie uh, kind of. Uh, very computer savvy and technology savvy people. Um, many are also quite good traders and understand the risks and understand what. How do you structure your financial investments? Now, as we get in wider and wider public involved, it's very very dangerous to do this without any control. Um, I would say the reason why you need regulation is not not to control the businesses. It's it's to ensure that there's a level playing field and to ensure that the industry doesn't get stained. I'm sure we've all heard about um, accusations that crypto is a great place for money laundering. Well, if you look at the statistics, it's actually, and it's very easy to check on blockchain because everything's recorded. There's actually a lot less money laundering in crypto than through the traditional banks. Um, however, in theory, if, if there weren't any limitations and if there weren't any regulation in place, then in theory, it is it is in some way even more uh, convenient for, for the bad actors than cash, because you can you can deposit large sums with a single transaction. If it goes into an entity which has access to bank accounts, then your money is in a bank. And then it's much harder for the government to prove or for anybody to find out where that money actually came from. Uh, and that's, I think, that is what regulators fear of. Uh, it, it's... A, it's a gateway into the financial sector. As long as things stay in crypto, it, it's less of a problem. That is why DeFi, albeit everybody, all the regulators are trying to grapple as to what to do with it, I think they're less concerned because money stays within DeFi and it's, it's kind of a parallel universe of money uh, to the financial um, sector. Once that money starts going back into the financial sector, that's when they worry. And that is why businesses like ours, which uh, average ordinary people would use, uh, because you normally have pounds or euros or dollars to invest to start with, right? You don't start with Ethereum, the majority of wider public. So you need a a gateway which allows you to take your pounds, exchange it uh, into some cryptocurrency. Then it doesn't have to stay with us. It can go to... Uh, the whole universe universe of other crypto uh, uh, crypto businesses I, I guess what the regulated the the status of regulated business gives you is assurance that uh you are dealing with a real business uh you're dealing with a business that has real people behind it that if for whatever reason you have a problem you can complain about it and it will be treated properly and essentially you're dealing with a financial institution There is a caveat that uh, because there isn't a license for crypto, it's uh, in no way none of the crypto businesses fall under the uh, government deposit protection scheme, the £50,000, I believe, unless that's been changed recently. Um, So... In, in theory, the, if, if say a business was to go bankrupt, the government would not give you the money back. That that is the di- big difference between a bank and a crypto firm, or even other challenger banks, which many are not banks; they're payment institutions. And again, people need to be aware of that. Um, however, it, there's a big difference between say us and some unregulated entity, uh, which doesn't really have um, doesn't really have corporate presence. You're not sure which jurisdiction it falls under. If for whatever reason you lose your money, you don't even know where to write. Uh, well, you would write to the supports of the company, but if they say sorry, then it's very hard to understand which jurisdiction this actually belongs to. Where do you go to the police? Uh, with regulated businesses like ours, these are all things that are there in place, and we're, we've are we made uh, huge investments into this in order to stay in the markets and in the business long term. That's I guess that's another reassurance that... Uh, traditionally or historically in crypto, there's been a lot of uh, pump and dump and uh, and, and kind of get, get rich quick schemes. And that is another thing that is happening very actively right now. Those schemes, it's very hard for them to survive nowadays, because there are uh, legitimate long term players and, and the public realizes that very quickly. And naturally, I mean, I would do this, I'm sure you would, you'd gravitate towards uh, a business that is is here to stay and not to uh, to do one project and disappear. So I guess it's it's reassurance, trustworthiness, longevity, um, and also reassurance that over time, we would, you would not be, as a user of our platform, you would not be in a situation where uh, you can't take your money back into, say, your bank account because your bank deems us as a bad player. Uh, whereas with an unregulated business, you can find yourself in a situation where you've made a, a lot of profit by trading, uh, but then you can't extract that profit. It's very, very hard. So I guess quite a collection of reasons to, uh, to follow regulation from, from a business point of view and from any serious investor.
0: The, I mean, this is, this is, I find this quite interesting because, you know, at the end of the day, um, Forex trading has been made, is, it's been available for a very long time here in the UK to the retail public. It's still offered. Um, with very high levels of um leverage although obviously earlier earlier stage traders have have um limits on how much leverage the broker will give them um yet uh cryptocurrencies now seem to have um penetrated the UK market um much more thoroughly than than standard you know vanilla fx trading has done um I was on the beach um in Sussex a few weeks ago and just ten yards away were a couple of housewives with their dogs and they were talking about trading Cardano. There's no way they would have been talking about, you know, <laughs> trading the Canadian dollar or anything like that. Yet that here you have people who who, you know, um have stopped talking about Love Island. They're actually talking about how much money they've made in the crypto market. What what do you think is the appeal of that? Because um, it's obviously there's something there that's more appealing than than many other financial markets at the moment.
1: I I would agree, and I I think I think this is this is also the biggest challenge for us as a cryptocurrency business because there are un un uncontrolled by us or anybody else. Uh, there are these projects that that become much more profitable for. It's hard to explain what reason, um, and we'll look at somebody like some projects like Dogecoin, which was supposed to be a meme, and it was not. It was never supposed to be serious cryptocurrencies, based on what the founders originally believed. It was supposed to be just a, a bit of a joke, um, let's have some fun, sort of idea. And however, if you look at the profitability of that, it's uh, very, very appealing. And I guess my view is is people. In general, people have these basic instincts, and one of those instincts is, is for the better word, greed. Uh, and like, if you look at, if you compare FX markets to, to crypto, in FX you need to work much harder to generate 300% annualized profit, right? In crypto, if you're lucky, and I'm not saying do this, <laughs> because you may not get not get lucky and lose all your money, but if you're lucky, and there are some people who are lucky, you you put in a thousand pounds, you get 300% profit. And then the thing you do is you talk about it to everybody. You think you are the smartest person in the world, right? Um, you, you don't realize that you are you just got lucky once. And, and I think this is the big difference between uh, FX. In FX, there's a lot less inefficiencies in the market. That means you actually have to have a strategy for trading. That means you need to work hard and know what you're doing, understand the risks. Most people don't really want to do that. They just want to... Um, Buy, buy some random coins and hope it goes up um, and that's much more appealing to the mass public and I, I think um, a, a good analogy a, a friend of mine just mentioned uh, last week actually uh, with regards to lottery and like if you think about lottery is not well to my understanding at least it's, it's not as heavily regulated as some of the other financial uh, sector businesses but in essence, lottery is no different to margin trading 100x on crypto. It's the chances of you winning are very slim. The but if you do, the prize is an unreasonably high. So I think it's that kind of perception of you can uh, you have the opportunity of just um, gambling away your money uh, and making a large profit if you're lucky. And, and this is this is why I say this is a problem to us because there are other cryptocurrencies and and there are reasons for why they are growing in price and you can have strategies around it. There's a lot of institutions who have very solid strategies about investing into crypto and the two worlds are commingled. The occasional um, kind of um, opportunistic investors, together with the institutional investors, and and this is where. I think this is where we moved on from 2017, which where it was mostly opportunistic investors and very few people who actually understood what they were doing. Now the balance of people who understand what they were doing is much wider, um, and and it's starting to rebalance. I believe that over time, uh, when when crypto mm-hmm. becomes much more much more of a level level playing field and with more institutions in the market, the market will have to become more mature, uh, more efficient. Mm-hmm. And then that would mean that the opportunities to generate these unreasonable or very very high profits those opportunities will also diminish and people will find another another instrument another thing to to throw money at essentially uh, and and that's that's what it is the the only thing I'd add is the interesting thing about crypto it's so it's many worlds within the world so when you have you had the rise of Bitcoin. Then after that there was the Ethereum with their uh, with their smart contracts. Then on top of that you had ICOs. Then that was another boom. Then you had DeFi. That's another boom. Now NFTs, and for all I know, that can happen indefinitely. The the innovation and each one of those things you can think of it as as an opportunistic investment, but also out of say a 100 of these um, opportunities, two or three come out as very successful, innovative businesses. And, and that is the amazing thing that they, each one of those iterations gives, us, gives the society something uh, that, that can change the life of everybody. And we, we will probably see this in 10 years from now, but I wouldn't be surprised. If we, if we talk about the NFTs, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, in 10 years times, governments use this for um, things like house deeds, or uh, marriage certificates, birth certificates. So you don't have to send pieces of paper, you don't have to verify that you are who you are, you scan a QR code and, and that should, that proves it. Um, that's super convenient. So the, the, these sort of gimmicky inventions, you may think, can transform into something that will benefit the society in, in, in a much wider spectrum.
0: Do you think that there's... Um... I mean if you look at the, look at the cryptocurrency universe there's a lot of different coins out there um now you you mentioned the institutional participation um a lot of the kind of johnny come lately fund managers and banks seem to be going into the the more established um you know bitcoin ethereum cardano um then on the other side of the the on the other side of the coin if you forgive the pun but the uh you have these new emerging um, cryptocurrencies where there have been some very you know, amazing returns from some of them. Um, and those seem to be backed by the guys who are the real kind of influencers in the market, who have a lot more knowledge and who are able to sort the wheat from the chaff. Mm hmm. Uh, and and frequently those are very very new um, where we've done our our research on them some of them you can tell are actually based on a very good idea um, or very good technology uh, whereas others are just a couple of guys in a garage as far as I can tell (laughs) what do you do as a platform um, you know when you're making different coins available are you responding to um, customers saying hey I want to trade this or are you just looking at where the volumes are or where you where you are confident that you can fill a trade i mean how do you choose the menu of, of currencies that you make available
1: i would say it's a combination of all of this and it, it's a quite an interesting discussion actually uh to it, it's a problem that we've been grappling with internally in the business uh, how do we how do we make sure that our customers have access to what they would like to have access to? But at the same time, we have um, the requirements, we have the the obligation to limit the risks as much as we can. So one of the things we do as, as a starting point is every coin that we're thinking about adding to our markets, we go through the corporate and legal due diligence. The corporate due diligence is all about who's behind the coin. Sometimes it's very tough. If it's completely DeFi, you don't know. Well, we do our best uh, by using all of our connections in the crypto sphere to to get to the bottom of. And sometimes it's not official information, but actually understanding in the market as to who's behind it. And and we try and dig deep, deep as much as we can to understand who's actually running it, why. Then we study the white paper and try and work out is there actually a reason, an economic reason or a technological reason or any other reason for this coin to exist. And, and the ones that some of the ones that you mentioned are it's super easy because when you read the white paper you understand that they're solving a problem the the ones that are a challenge are where they're not even intending to solve a problem it's just another cryptocurrency yet the market loves it and and that's where the software software metrics come into play so we'd look at the number of followers on the different social media accounts we'd look at the trading volumes we'd look at the dynamics would look at the inflows outflows of of uh, money into the cryptocurrency itself uh, what we really want to avoid is is again a some sort of pump and dump scheme we really wouldn't want uh, so our approach is we'd rather lose a revenue opportunity or essentially um it, it's our revenue but it's also potential profit for our users right uh but we're happy to do it if the if we see that there's a big chance that this cryptocurrency will end up uh going to zero and and we will have a lot of unhappy customers Um, for us as a platform obviously we're price neutral we're we're a trading venue so for us it doesn't really matter as a business but we understand that we we cannot put some unreasonable coins on our platform and we have to protect our um our traders and because they may not have all the information that we do so I guess to to reiterate this, it's it's checking who's behind it, checking doing the corporate due diligence, doing the legal due diligence through the white paper, as well as um, verifying that we are actually legally allowed to work with this cryptocurrency, to offer this cryptocurrency in a specific jurisdiction. As as we talk about the UK right now, but we're a worldwide organization, and very often we would say we can list this. Uh, everywhere apart from the US, for example, or US and Canada, because in those jurisdictions, that cryptocurrency may be deemed as security. Very often, it isn't today. But what we really want to avoid is that this happens in three years time. And, and then the regulators will be, uh, let's say, unhappy <laughs> about what we have done. So we, we've taken a very conservative and uh, conservative stance here, I would say. Um, yeah. And then the social effects, they they cannot be diminished.
0: I mean, looking looking at you mentioned doing the due diligence and certainly when I'm looking at an individual coin, um, the more information I can get about why it was set up, the better. I can see, as you've mentioned, there's obviously some coins that have just basically been created as a sort of Bitcoin me too. And that's where you get the enthusiasm for it, because people want to get in at the ground level when it's really cheap and hopefully sell out when it's trading at 50,000 bucks for the uh the coin but uh the chances of that happening are probably fairly fairly slim are you finding are you finding that uh, traders are like there's only one bitcoin right? yeah well that's what i was thinking you know why yeah, there is a bitcoin so why buy this other one which is just trying to be a, a clone of bitcoin basically as it was in the early days um are you finding that the the, the attraction for clients are they do you think that they're kicking the tires on some of these, or are they just relying on more on the price action and 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 people on uh, social media who are saying it's going to the moon and then they're just following the the meme online?
1: I think there's a bit of both. I think there's a crowd of people who literally they don't, as I said, they don't really want to get involved. they just want to do what their neighbor does. And that gives them more comfort than anything else. If if the neighbor had done it three times and made a profit, then if they do the same thing, they must get a profit. That's unfortunately the the psychology, and that's to a point why regulators exist as well in 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 some in some shape or form uh, because not everybody understands the risks. Uh, however, the, there's also um, and I I'm always surprised by by this, and sometimes it, it's these people come from completely different industries and sectors and and you would never guess that they're into crypto Uh, but some people dig deep and they really become part of the community and so this is the strongest movement in my opinion if if you have a project which is on the course to change to, to solve a problem let's say i don't know the proof of work issue and then the development of the proof of stake mechanism that is a social movement almost where the, the majority or a large proportion of the crypto community said, "We need to innovate. We need to evolve," and then you have these layer two protocols on top of L one, and things like getting transactions cheaper, getting transactions faster. Um, then the, the likes of um, the likes of DeFi and liquidity mining and liquidity pools. I mean, this is this is a very democratic uh, idea. Why? Why do we give money away to financial institutions and banks? We can be our own bank. We can deposit our funds into a project, do a good thing because it allows other people to trade those coins, but also make a profit, a share of the profit, which is equally distributed or proportional, I should say, distributed to all the participants. And and you can be 100% certain that it's fair because everything's on blockchain. You can't change the rules of the game. Obviously, there are risks. You can lose all your money if the, the contract gets hacked and, and things like that. But, I mean, these, these things happen. Uh, but also, I believe over a period of time, these things will happen less and less. So there will be kind of natural dominant market players who you can trust more and more. Again, the institutionals will come in. Um, so the people who I think dig deeper, they understand that you sometimes don't need to bet on the price of the coin. You need to bet, bet on the utility uh, or the value of the coin or the, the ability of the coin to solve a problem. And if you get that right, then the price must go up because more and more people will use it. A bit like Ethereum. it's They've done a tremendous, um, a very visionary thing uh, to, to build the backbone for an ecosystem for people to innovate on. And they, they, rather than doing all the innovation themselves, they give the tools to the masses, and the masses can do whatever they want with it, and and that's the best thing in my mind. So, I, well, I'm, I'm guessing you can see where I'm <laughs> where I'm uh, gravitating towards. I, I don't I don't like to bet on on price per se, uh, but if there's a good use case, I think. And and that that's probably actually one of parts of your question was with regards to institutions. How do they approach it? Uh, based on my communications, they they like to have some um, some fundamentals in there. Then, are very unlikely, and that's why they're investing in the top three, five cryptocurrencies because only for those they can actually dig out enough history and fundamentals to to put the two, two together to make a reasonable ish assumption of where the price might go. Whereas, whereas with all of the new coins, etc., it's just too early for them, and and there's not enough data. Um, and so, for example, if you look at Bitcoin, there's there's limited supply. Um, so, as if the demand stays the same, the price must go up. If the demand goes up and the supply shrinks, the price will go up exponentially. That's all you need, right? Do you believe the project will uh, cease to exist in the next three years? If the probability of that is lower than, uh, than the probability of, of people still wanting the product or the, the, the coin, then the price must go up. There's... It's just the basic law of economy. There's nothing; you don't have to add anything to it. Um, I guess there is always a risk that people will just stop using Bitcoin. But again, I I always come back to in my mind. There's different cryptocurrencies for different use cases, and Bitcoin by far is is the one that's taken the leadership for store of store of value within the crypto sphere. If it's the equivalent of gold in the traditional uh, markets, I would say you. You, you put your money in there for the long term, you don't use it for transactions, you don't use it for paying for coffee, it doesn't make much sense. Uh, Ethereum is an ecosystem and there are others, Ethereum is just an example, but there are other ecosystems where people can innovate on top of that. So the more people innovate, and you can just lo- look at the number of contributions on the uh, on the GitHub. If there's, if there's a growing number of contributions, then more people will transact on Ethereum. So if you invest in Ethereum, you have reasons to understand why the price may may go up or down, based on on that trajectory. So I, I think that's why there's a limited number of coins that the institutionals get in, involved with. They need they need all those metrics. And you look at um, I don't know Shiba Inu. That's how do you go about that? That there's there's a huge social movement. There's it's kind of a, a lot it's similar to GameStop. I would say there's a lot of people who say let's let's buy it all. And then the price goes up and that's this is also a market effect. But can you plan for that? I, I think the majority of institutions would, would be very skeptical of, of this planning.
0: Yes. And uh, <laughs> speaking speaking about mainstream, obviously, we've had El Salvador um, wanting to uh, bring Bitcoin on board as as an actual fiat currency within within the country. Um, do you think and, and the other thing I was going to say is, is, is the there's now a lot of talk about as you've mentioned bitcoin being used as an alternative to gold and some gold traders are saying oh the reason why gold isn't moving as we would expect with higher inflation numbers is because a lot of people who used to buy gold are now buying buying bitcoin do you do you think that there's 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 some some truth to that do you think you know bitcoin is here to stay and it, it is cryptos are going mainstream
1: i think in general yes and there's there's multiple reasons for it. I, I just wanted to go back to gold. There's one observation that, I, that has been made to me by a uh, a person who's been in the physical gold brokerage world for many, many years. And people have this perception that there's a limited amount of gold available. That's a complete lie. There's pretty much unlimited amounts of gold available. It depends on what is the price of extraction. What is the price that you can sell which demands... The cost of extraction. So, if this is the big difference between gold and Bitcoin, if the Bitcoin price goes up 100x, then there's not going to be more Bitcoins available. There's still a finite number. If the price of gold goes up 100x, we will find 100x times more gold. It, it's available in, in the in the at least in all the uh, uh, soil that's, that's being dug up, dug up and processed there's always bits of gold left, and it, it depends on how much it costs to reprocess those, uh, those, um, I forget the word, what they call it, tailings, I think that's the word, yes, the tailings. Um, so this is the the illusion of gold that, that people have always, at least I've always had, that, that there's a limited supply of gold, so my money's safe, and that's not the case. It can, it can the price can go down as well. In addition to that, uh, I guess the flip side to that is uh, when you produce gold, you always, pretty much always are certain that somebody will buy it because there's, the banks have to buy gold. And one of the th- reasons for it in the recent economy is, uh, and I'm talking about the central banks right now, the governments, uh, every time governments print money or uh, s- produce uh, stimulus like the quantitative easing, etc., they also need to increase their gold reserves. In order to rebalance the economy so they actually when they print some money they actually print more money to buy more gold to put the gold as collateral and as this is what has been happening with the economy for the last 10 years or so governments have been printing money there's been quite a large demand for gold actually from the governments um, and that is the main uh, the main demand it, it's if you look at what gold is used in electronics etc it, it's much smaller amount so if and this is one of those things if for one one day the governments decide actually we don't use we don't want to use gold as collateral anymore we'll use something else be it bitcoin or something else then the price of gold may go down significantly because actually there would be no use for it and the um all of well i guess it would go down significantly at, until the mining stops and then it may go up so it will probably self-regulate to a reasonable level uh, at some point um but what i'm saying is it's not that's one of the reasons why we're seeing separation of gold from uh, um what it has been historically kind of negative correlation with the with the major indexes etc etc there's a shift now because there's a different kind of use of gold I, i doubt personally i doubt that is because of bitcoin i really don't think that the amount of investments in bitcoin are any significant value to to change the the amounts of investments in gold. However, I think probably my guess is the sovereign funds and the long term investors see that gold is not as safe of an investment vehicle, and they're looking for other investment vehicles. Might be property, for example, or I don't know. It one of one of the things I would say is I wouldn't be surprised if if those uh, very risk averse investors through hedge funds through venture capital funds end up investing in very crazy crypto startups uh, which become very successful so and this is this is the thing that i always find interesting um traditional investors find it really hard to invest in crypto directly but they're absolutely fine to go through the vc route and fund a startup that has this crazy idea to revolutionize within crypto so it's it's kind of innovation within a very uh, risky and and diverse market already and but they because this is something they've done many times before. I think for them, it's easier to to come up with, well, to, to be uh, content with that idea than to invest directly into a cryptocurrency. I think that there were a couple other things with regards to El Salvador and the adoption of crypto in general. The, the adoption of crypto, I would say, yes, it's definitely happening. Um, one of the things that will make a huge difference in my mind is CBDCs when the public will realize that you don't have to have cash physical cash to touch that digital money is money then there will be no distinction between digital pound or bitcoin it will work the same way and the i think it's more of a psychological barrier for many people to to think that well it's 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 out of thin air it doesn't exist in real life how how can I trust it? But they forget that the majority of government money is never printed. It stays in, in databases, in virtual, uh, in virtual domain, I would say. So in, in many ways, we're already there. But because the majority of public still wants to have the ability to touch cash, and once that goes away, and I think it will very, very soon, uh, then that will lead to a much wider adoption of crypto in general.
0: And and just finally, I mean, on that theme, I wanted to ask you about central bank digital currencies. We've heard rumblings that central banks are planning to launch their own digital currencies. Why would they want to do that when they've already got their own currencies? Is it just because they want to compete against Bitcoin? I mean, what would, no. what's the utility from a central bank?
1: I Again, this is my view, but I think it's the inevitable. Um, so, blockchain is a step innovation it's it's if we draw an analogy if um if everybody else is using iphones and your government workers are still using nokia phones without without any ability to install apps their productivity would be much lower right um so i think it's it's not to compete with cryptocurrencies it's it's for the governments to compete with each other and and we have the china who's already launched this digital currency. And we don't know what it's based on. (laughs) We don't know how distributed it is. Very likely it isn't. Very likely it's a centralized cryptocurrency. However, it's a digital currency, uh, which allows potentially China to uh, facilitate very easy and seamless transactions with other governments like the UAE, like the African republics. What does that mean to dollar? That's a threat immediately. Because if dollar is the main use of exchange of money, and there's now um, digital yuan, which is or digital RMB, whatever they will call it, and that is cheaper, more convenient, instant settlements, all these things that happen on blockchain, uh, you know exactly whether you've paid or not, etc. That just that on itself is is a big threat. So all the other com- countries, I'm sure, are looking, and central banks are looking into this, thinking we should we better start doing something like that as well. Otherwise, well, if we take the UK, Brexit, et cetera, the UK wants to be, wants to remain the financial center of the world. These are the sort of things that will have to happen in order to stay the financial center, you have to also innovate your financial uh, industry. If you don't innovate, then at some point in the future, somebody else will come over and take over the, um, the leading, um, I guess, the leading uh, position in, in that space. So it's a threat at, at a gar- and Imagine, I believe I looked into it some while ago, and and the, I think it was in the eighties when when the UK uh, shifted from manufacturing to service economy, and service economy is where a huge chunk of the GDP comes from. So if if London loses the financial sector um, positioning, then it's a threat to the whole UK economy. So it's it's not an easy one to, and it's something you have to plan for as, as a reasonable government and central bank. So that's that's one thing. The other thing is efficiencies. Um, imagine, and everybody, I think the majority of people, when they talk about central bank digital currencies, they just think they'll have a wallet with digital pounds in it, and you can send money to your friends quickly. Well, we kind of can do that anyway, right? With, with e-money, with uh, Revoluts, et cetera. I think where the main innovation is going to come from is is ability for the government to reconcile tax obligations real time. The only country in the world that that current well, I, I don't know if it's the only country in the world, but I would say only only countries with centralized governments like China can actually enforce that at the moment. Uh, democratic countries always lack a year to a year and a half between. So, obviously, the governments need to understand what the spendings had been, etc., how, how much tax people need to pay in order to affect the monetary and, and the fiscal policy, right? But all of those effects happen a year and a half after what had happened. So, there's a huge lag. It's, it's very innately inefficient. And it's, in some ways, a stab in the dark as to whether that method will work. Because if you, if you get the timing wrong... Uh, it could be what's called um, a positive feedback, which actually amplifies the problem rather than reduces the problem. Now, if you have all the transactions on blockchain in real time, um, say COVID hits and you want to understand which sectors are hit the worst, you would have data every second and, you, and then you decide as the government, I want to help uh, the, the, the restaurants and we would do a, the government does a monetary stimulus to the restaurants and the money is delivered directly to the specific restaurants they can categorize it the whole thing's done instantly at a click of a button right now it's I believe it's a huge machine of uh, people and and technology to make it happen and then usually it goes to the banks who then have who then should give out loans and do they give out loans or not the government usually can't even control that so how much of that stimulus gets to where it needs to get nobody really well I'm sure they know but it's not a it's not a given um so i think it's about it's about visibility about being fast it's it's about staying ahead of the competition with amongst the other countries um, and and the last thing which i hope the governments are looking into is if you look at what's been happening with with the likes of ethereum's and, and DeFi uh, and nfts it's the ability to completely re-engineer the government sectors Uh, and services so if, if we had if everything was on blockchain we could when people are born when people die when people marry we could do all that through nfts when you buy a house you could switch the deed within a couple of seconds you don't need lawyers you don't need somebody to verify that you own the house i go to a seller scan the qr code i know that they own the house why do i need to pay five grand to a lawyer and and you think it affects the lawyers, but actually in many ways, it, it makes the whole economy function much more uh, fluidly. And that means there's more transactions happening. That means the economy will, will thrive. Um, and and kind of getting to the almost utopian level, and I don't think this UK is the the model country for that. I think it's, it has to be more of a smaller socialist, social democratic economy like Finland, Sweden, maybe. Uh, potentially looking at what's happening in DeFi, you can build banks, you can build credit institutions, you can build insurance funds, you can build everything on blockchain. That means the government can actually launch all those products into the market for people to use, and they don't need the whole of the financial sector. It just evaporates. And however, if you do it right way, the those products, they can be still owned by some companies, let's say, but the profits of those could be... Equally distributed, proportionally distributed to the public. So then, the whole idea behind like the minimum national income for everybody, etc., it becomes more of a reality because the people who make the transactions, they're also the ones who who make money from from all the whole economy operating essentially. And it's and it's uh, I, I guess the government right now is a proxy for the people, and whatever whatever the country generates, whatever profits the country generates. Uh, Go back to the central bank, or well, and then get distributed down. Well, with blockchain technology, like, like uh, similar to DeFi, you could actually streamline the whole process, and every single person can be 100% certain that everything's done fairly. There's no corruption. So it, as I say, very utopian. (laughs) I I don't see this happening anytime soon. I don't see this happening in major economies. It's just too complicated, and me. I think I, I'm not sure I would actually want that to happen in the country I live in, uh, but the technology would allow for something like this to happen, and that's that's why you have to at least consider it. That's that's my view.
0: It's it's a yeah, it's a very fascinating subject, and we could probably <laughs> discuss it for another hour. So um, we'll have to get you uh, back on the podcast again um, in the not too distant future because I expect there'll be um, a lot more developments in this space over over the next few months thank you Stuart. thank you constantin for your time this morning it's been it's been really interesting um and and as i said um yeah we should we should definitely book you in for for another session um later on (laughs) i'd be happy to you've been listening to the armchair trader podcast make sure you visit our website www.thearmchairtrader.com for your daily dose of financial markets news and sign up to our free newsletter there